You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Well, welcome into the program. Glad you dialed us in. The aforementioned characters are here in addition to Justin Jones. Hello, Lars. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Had a uh, productive morning. Uh, As you know, Matt, I had to uh, part ways with my literary agent and uh, and I'm I'm going with a new agent. Uh, She's in New York as well. And uh, we're kind of, you know, searching around for the next big uh, story uh, that I want to turn into a book for next big book topic. And I think we're we're off and running. So uh, excited about that. Excited to uh, dig into uh, my next project. Uh, as you're well aware, uh, I had completed a book uh, with a, another person. And, uh, you know, 85,000 words later, we're all ready to go basically to print. And, uh, and the editor at Simon & Schuster loved the book, but uh, this person's wife didn't love the book. <laughs> And uh, the book was killed, uh, which was highly disappointing. Um, I've had a book killed before, sort of, but it was midway through the process and it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with, uh, you know, other other factors. And uh, this one, you know, to get it all the way, I mean, if, it, if it's the Daytona 500, we're coming around turn four on the final lap of the race, right? The checkered flag is waving, or the checkered flag is in sight. Yeah, exactly. Blew the engine and went hard into the wall. (laughs) Um, I got an idea. Um, Our first guest, Rush Pros. You know, I've actually thought about that. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, I've thought about uh, doing a uh, a book uh, either on Rush or, or with Rush, and and I think he is, uh, you know, the rare high school coach that has national appeal. And uh, it's because his story is, uh, is so, I mean, I, I don't even know how you'd characterize it, Matt. It's, uh, uh, there's a lot of success. There's a lot of failure. There's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of deception. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it, it's got a lot of elements in to it, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to take that one on, but uh, I, I, <laughs> well, we'll I have get a start. We'll get yeah. a start here. You, you can uh, see where we go from there. He is, uh, he is his own guy. I'll put it that way. And we actually had a very, very long conversation last night, um, and um, he said, "Sure, I'll come on. Sure, I'll address that." Um, now, he will face up to it even when he's wrong. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Speaking of Daytona, have you seen the video of the wreck with Ryan Priest? Uh, I know a lot of, they're not a whole lot of NASCAR fans, not like there were in the 70s and 80s, but just take, you know, 30 seconds and Google it. He flipped and turned and barrel rolled so many times it was absolutely incredible and yet they took him to nearby Halifax uh, and I think he was out Sunday it was a Saturday night race so um, when you mentioned Daytona I just thought about that and I just wondered if anybody had seen that video because it'll scare the you know what out of you and then you find out he literally walked away 
it's just crazy how safe those cars are at 200 miles an hour. Now, um, on a serious note, let's keep our thoughts and prayers for all those that are being affected by Adalia. Um, it is more than landfall. It's uh, past the crook, if you will, between the Panhandle and the Peninsula. And it's now, I think, near Valdosta. But uh, I've, think I've seen it as high as a Cat 4, maybe just Cat 3. But that's 120-mile-an-hour winds, and uh, it's devastating that area. So prayers go out to them because, jeez, uh, those things are just devastating. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, I, I, I'm, I'm really scared to hear uh, what it's going to look like or, you know, scared to see what it's going to look like in the aftermath. Uh, this is uh, for, for some of these towns uh, that are it's just right at the at the Florida panhandle. Uh, this is a, a one in a hundred year event, and uh, and and I, I'm worried about uh, about uh, getting some really bad news because people people needed to evacuate, and uh, you know sometimes if you're elderly or uh, you know you just don't have the means to do so, and or if you just you know try to try to stick it out and uh you know the the storm surge is just it, it is frightening uh the amount of flooding that uh is uh, is occurring so yes definitely uh keeping ev everyone down there in uh in our thoughts yeah i'm watching some of the pictures as we speak there's now 400,000 people without power there's devastation in what they call that little corner, if you will, called Big Ben. There's a really cool little resort uh, town down there called Cedar Key, and I think it was right in the path. And I had a lot of friends that used to vacation down in that area, and I just wonder. You, you know, you can repair the houses. Let's just try and get everybody safe. All right. Uh, I guess it was just a matter of time, Lars, before somebody was going to do a story on how often and how long Nick Saban smiles. <laughs> well, it was done, and I looked at the headline and went, I'm not reading this. And I didn't. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, golly, are we going to walk around and pick up the guy's gum wrapper if he happens to miss the trash can? Is the infatuation mark about Nick Saban gone over the top? That's my question. Well, I don't know. I, don't know I actually found I found the story by Matt Stahl on AL.com pretty damn good. I did. I did. All right, I'll I, read it. And so no, and and he he did his research, and uh, just you know right from his story, and I I give him credit because yeah, I, I was a little skeptical myself, but. He, uh, Matt calculated, and this required time, he, he calculated that Nick Saban has spent 3.42% of his total preseason press conference time smiling in 2023. That's more than double the percentage of any year from 2017 onward. So uh, Matt had to go back and watch every single press conference, time the amount of when he was smiling. Or he could have just and, made it up. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I, 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 I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think this is tongue in cheek. If he did, if it is, it's uh, that I that I missed it. Well done, it, but, tongue in cheek. 
if if it's yeah, you know, if maybe maybe I just fell for something hook, line, and, and sinker. Uh, maybe I did. I don't know. Um, but no, it just it reads very factual. Yes, it it, it does, and uh, but. You know when uh, when Sports Illustrated did the famous April Fool's story on the mysterious case of Sid Finch, right? And this was about a pitcher uh, who uh, could throw a hundred and sixty-eight mile an hour fastball, and uh, and George Plimpton wrote it, and uh, we got so many stories about. Oh my gosh, you know, and, and, and Sid Finch was in the uh, the Mets organization, but the first word of every uh, the the first word of every paragraph for the first like you know thirteen paragraphs, it spelled out "Happy April Fools." Yeah, I remember it very very well, and I actually bought into it, uh, even as amazing as it sounded at the time. And there they are. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it just, uh, they don't, I I swear, they don't come until right before the start of the show. Right at the start of the show, you know. It's the big noon repair. Yeah. It's it's absolutely crazy. And I think you said they've done four of 164 homes. Yeah. This is going to last until SEC media days for basketball. Um, All right. Bunch of stories uh, that we will get into today. I am going to uh, give you your guest lineup. As uh, yes, indeed, Rush Probst is going to join us in just a few minutes. He's now the new head coach of Pell City High School. That program had needed a lift for a long time, and after what I saw in their opener, although they lost at Moody, um, he's already got them marching in the right direction. Uh, then he threw his headset at his side. Uh, we'll talk about that with him, and then second hour. He's become a popular guest on our show from 3340. He is Spiegel's right-hand man. Johnny Congdon will join us. So I appreciate you folks dialing us in. This is Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Oh, yeah. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. The chance of a few isolated showers this afternoon. Otherwise, a mix of sun and clouds. The high 86. For tonight, fair and cooler. The low 61. Tomorrow and Friday, lots of sunshine both days and not as humid. Highs between 86 and 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Hey, everybody, it's Gary Harris. Coming up Thursday on the Gary Harris Show on Tide 100.9 FM, the coach, Ellis Johnson, will join us, plus Paul Patterson from Patterson Cover Law Firm with a free legal advice segment, and Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Closing in on Alabama versus Middle Tennessee State. We'll have some recruiting news as well as continue to look at the superlatives for the players of the game for Alabama versus Middle Tennessee State. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports.
of our interviews on Big Noon Sports are sponsored by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker, Advantage Realty Group. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, your producer is Justin Jones, and our first guest on Big Noon Sports today is Rush Probst. Um, if you're listening to the show, streaming the show, whatever, you know the history. You know his successes and you know his failures. I uh, ran into him last night. We had a lengthy conversation. It was really good to catch up. I don't know when the last time we've actually spoken, Rush, but that was a good thing. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing wonderful. How about you today? We're all great, you know. Um, feeling pretty good. Really getting, you know, high school football began last week and you got college coming in and then the NFL. So, uh, and, and this part of the country, Rush, all is good. Um <laughs> Let's get the elephant in the room uh, out of here, or at least uh, uh, talk about it. Um, Friday at Moody, uh, it was an incident where you tossed headsets uh, at your son, who I believe is a sophomore wide receiver. Um, would you address junior that? Wide. And, junior, junior, junior okay. wide receiver. Um, would you address that issue, how it's been handled, and are there consequences? Well... Number one, I can't say too much, but there was never headsets thrown. Um, and that's, we have video evidence to prove that. We just, you know, we'll get to that later on. But, um, you know, so we, the bottom line, the official part of it, and it's proven by video evidence that will come out soon, is that there was, we were breaking up a, de excavating a, situation on the sidelines where there was a tackle out of bounds there was a tackle out of bounds a flag was thrown for an illegal hit out of bounds and then there was a punch thrown by a moody player that he was ejected and we were trying to separate the and we did a great job everybody did a great job to keep it from you know elevating to something worse because there's nothing else happened except for the one punch so where this all came from it's just we don't know, but there's we all you gotta do is pull it up on the four eleven network and there's nothing there. Uh Rush, hey, it's Lars Anderson here. Uh apologize for the sound in the background. Uh you and I first met back in two thousand six. Uh I wrote uh, I think it was about a ten page story in Sports Illustrated, uh when you were yeah. at Hoover and um I was absolutely fascinated by what you had done there. Um, let's just start there. Like, how? What was the secret of building Hoover into a power? And you know, a lot of people referred to Hoover as sort of the uh, the third best program in the state of Alabama, including the Crimson Tide and the Auburn Tigers. Well, I beg to differ. I thought we was the best program in the state that year. <laughs> That's but, very rushed pro uh, response. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Auburn was winning, but Alabama was, you know, sort of mediocre back then. And so I think we were the media darlings, so to speak. But, um, you know, of course, it was a great run. Uh, it was a historical run, to be honest with you. And I think but there's a lot of people that made that happen. First and foremost, Dr. Jack Farr. My superintendent had hired me in early January of uh, 1999. So, you know, and we hired good staff. We had a lot of support. People were hungry for a winner. I mean, they were just starved for a winner. You know, and I think that's the 
the, the secret recipe was everybody was just fired up and you know we went seven three that first year and and uh we probably won some games wasn't supposed to beat a good shades valley team at home at the met and we i guess we opened up a offense that no one had ever seen ever in the state of alabama or anywhere for that matter much you know in the south you know back in them days everybody was a very conservative offense played great defense and said that the spread offense couldn't work and then when you added tempo to it it um it just really made for that and then i felt like we were always on the cutting edge bars on different things i thought our strength and conditioning program we were doing things no one else was doing i thought obviously bill clark had come with me and established that defensive mindset on our defense and then he it was he was followed up by kevin shirley todd watson who's now at alabama now jeremy pruitt and kevin shara who's been at alabama who's now at georgia tech so i always had great defensive guys but the offense sort of took center stage because we were a team that was fast paced and threw it all over the the grass and so Playing at the Met was unique. Felt like gave us an advantage. We were one of the first teams in Alabama to play a lot of teams out of state. Um, you remember the famous Nice game, but even before that, you know, Vangel Christian and you know a lot more. John Curtis and uh, Tulsa Union. I mean, Coleraine, Cincinnati, on and on and on. So it it became a monster there's no doubt and it became a really good monster and the boosters got involved we raised a lot of money a lot of support and everybody was excited and and that's that's what it was all about a lot of fun man i i enjoyed it i remember you telling me how um you were able to literally fly to lexington kentucky and shadow help yep. hal mummy uh and if you could tell that story and also just uh i I found this so fascinating because i had never heard of this before of how you went around and talked to coaches that were uh uh, coaching like you know 10 year olds 12 year olds and you wanted them you taught them your system because you wanted the players to know sort of exactly what was in store for them once they got to hoover well, you know, we did a lot of ways, but the Kentucky stuff was, I had a good friend named Tony Franklin that was on that staff that I'd met in Mobile. I'd taken our Alma Bryant team to Mobile in the summer of uh, 98. And then the summer of 99, Bill Clark and I took a group up there of kids from Hoover. And, you know, that's sort of, but before that, that spring, there was a couple of boosters that had planes available that we could use at our disposal and I could fly. I, I went to every spring practice. I would leave my office at 11 o'clock, go to Bessemer, get on a private plane, fly to Lexington, get to Lexington, land around, I don't know, 145, get have a car rented, head straight to practice, walk right into a meeting, and then right on the practice field. Then I would stay till 10 or 11 that night because I wanted to continue to study the offense they were the coaches. Mike Leach was on that staff. Um, uh, Chris Hatcher was on that staff. Sonny Dykes, Dana Hogerson, and so a lot of good football coaches. And I think that what happened was is that I would get back around 1.30 in the morning 
uh, 2 o'clock, lay down around 2.30, 2.45, and be back at work at 6 a.m., 6.30. We'd have a morning workout, and this was in March, April. And then I'd, and it was every other day because they didn't practice every day. They'd practice Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Well, when I got there on Friday, and I would spend Friday night and stay for Saturday scrimmage. And, and I knew a lot about the offense, but I really learned it inside and out then. I ran a bunch of great football coaches, and I always, you know, Tony and I remained close and Hatcher and all those guys, you know. And I think that that was just one something that was big time that I felt like we had the ability and open encyclopedia to learn it inside and out. The thing I think we did, too, Lars, is we added more run game than what they were doing, which gave us, I think, a little better offense because we were not just all throw like they were. We were able to still run the football, um, you know, and I think, you know, the thing that I saw at Hoover, Lars, when I got there is we didn't have a stable of running backs. We had a bunch of athletes that could go run and catch the football, and I could find quarterbacks. Of course, we had two in the hopper with John Parker Wilson and and Ross Wilson and Jerry Bryant, who won Mr. Football. So we, we, we had kids could throw. And I felt like if we could develop enough kids that could catch it, that we could beat you with just tons of – we played 10 receivers. And, and we were fast-paced, and those guys didn't get tired, and we could wear people down in the throw game, and they were able to run the ball with some uh, – some toughness and then play great defense and then we went to seven straight state championship games and and you know when you go to seven straight like that I think it was just a, a great environment there at Hoover and something that I'll never forget and man we just had a bunch of great people too our booster people and our fan base were just all very very good people and and I still got a lot of great friends there today that I stay in touch with Rush Probst is our guest here on Big Noon Sports. Coach, let's fast forward to Bell City High School. And I was driving through Moody Friday night, and the intersection was stopped by a police escort. And these three beautiful Camelot tour buses come pulling out. And I went, well, there go the Panthers. Uh, You have changed the complexion of Pell City High School football. That was your team. But you you have a nutritionist now. Is that right? Was I what I understand? And then yep. Uh, yep. your your team stays in a in a hotel the night before the game. I mean, it's a lot of college yep. football in Pell City. Yep. Well Is there a how how have people just, reacted I, to that? Well, I mean, most of the people know about football react in a good way, you know, but it's still an education. And we did it at Hoover. We did it at Colquitt County, Georgia. We did it at Valdosta. We've done it here. And, you know, it's you, you control their environment. And, you know, from a nutritional standpoint, it's the best thing to do. From a hydration standpoint, from a mental focus standpoint, you know, because they're not allowed to be on their phones to midnight. They're, they're sequestered. Uh, either in a meeting or watching film or in a walkthrough or they're eating and hydrating. And so, and they're studying. They're academics. So when they go home, you know, I just don't assume that their parents are going to get that done. So I, I make sure that our players that are going to play in that ball game the next night 
just like they do in college football and the NFL, that they're that they've got every advantage, hydration wise, nutrition wise, mental focus wise, everything that we do. And the big big thing about that, Matt, is if you look at the two hundred and fifty plus kids that have signed football scholarships that have played for me in these schools that I've coached, I'd say eighty percent of them when they get to college are used to that atmosphere. It's not new to them. And because they've done it on a high school level. So uh, it's really worked out. And, you know, our boosters raised the money. And so none of the money comes out of school. None of the money comes out of ticket sales or the school system. It's not, you know, all that food cost and all that hotel cost is all booster money. And so that's the beauty of it too so i mean it's a um, it's a great thing and it, it makes I, I believe this man if you treat a player and a team like a champion they'll become a champion i've always believed that and so it's right reverse of what some people believe that they well they've got to earn the right i got to earn the right i don't agree with that i think you treat them good you get them good, good equipment you get them good apparel uh, because when I got here, Matt, they had no equipment here. They had headgear that were out of date. They were playing with headgear that was out of date. They had shoulder pads that I wouldn't put on. The shoulder pads, some of them were 24 years old. So they had nothing. They had no apparel. Their spirit pack the week, the year before, was a T-shirt that had a block in it, and you wrote a magic marker name on it. It was embarrassing. And so these kids here were treated like not second-class citizens, like third-class citizens. They had no chance to win here. Absolutely no chance to win here. And this team got beat last year at home by Moody 56-6 to by 50 points. And we we come within an eyelash of winning that game Friday night and probably should have won the game going away. We out-snapped them. We out got more first downs, more total, total yardage. They just found a way to win the game, and we didn't. But we outplayed them. And so I think all the things we've done, and we just, and we'd only started on June 5th. We didn't start. We didn't have an offseason. We didn't have a spring practice. I didn't get my coaches hired until early June. So we've done this since June. July and August in a three-month span. So I think you can win anywhere you go if you put the work in and if you treat them like a champion and make kids believe in themselves, they'll eventually find a way to win. And we'll eventually win here. I promise you that. Drastic difference between this year and last year. what, from what I saw in the game film from Moody. And by the way, Moody's one of the top programs in their uh, region uh, by far. Uh, I saw them last year. They were kicking butt. Rush, I know I asked you last night for 12 minutes. This is just too compelling. Could I convince you to maybe stay for another 10 minutes? Yeah, I'm or good. You, I'm, I'm you're okay? Here. No, I'm sitting here. I'm good. I'm good. All right. Rush Probes, more on Big Noon Sports after this brief commercial message. From T-Town to the Plains. 
Titans. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Back on Big Noon Sports, our guest is Rush Probst, one of the uh, most recognized figures in all of high school sports, in, in my opinion, from Hoover and now to Pell City. Lars? Rush, your uh, personal life has been highly scrutinized, um, and there's no need to sort of rehash that uh, here. But I, I wanted to ask you, do you think it's fair for reporters to dig into the personal lives of coaches such as yourself? Well, uh, yes and no, uh, or no and yes. I mean, but in that situation at Hoover, I, 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 it had to be the story had to be told. I mean, I, and I didn't I didn't have an issue with that. I mean, they don't know what all I went through. They don't know my situation. Uh, all I can tell you is this: is that. I have a good good relationship with my ex-wife. I have a, I have seven beautiful children. Um, we have a great family. We we spend time together all the time. We get together. I've got great grandkids. I have two granddaughters. So, you know, we all really get along very well. And you know, and I think the Lord has forgiven me. Did I do it right? No, I didn't do it right. And I've you know I've said that publicly and but I know for the grace of God and and, and uh, that he's forgiven me for my transgressions and all I can do now is be a good father and a good husband and and I think I've done that my kids will tell you that and I think my players will tell you that they see my wife here every day as a part of this football program and they they call her mama and they, she's done this now at three high schools with me uh starting at Calvert county about Austin now here and i think that you know they see me my players now see me differently than they saw me at hoover you know in in georgia they saw a husband and a wife that loved each other they saw me with my kids when they were young be a dad they saw me take in kids who maybe didn't have a place to live at the time or their power had been take, turned off and you know and we housed kids who needed a place to put their head down and you know so those things you know is what people don't see about me they don't know that that I help kids all throughout my life and how much I love kids because that's the part of high school football that I like I know in the college game, and I've had opportunities, but you know, and I had opportunities past off season. But the Pell City job was intriguing to me because people said it couldn't be done. There's no way you can win there. I'd won at six other high schools that I've turned around from Asheville to Eufaula to Alma Bryant to Hoover to Quinton Valley. So, well, I I wanted to come to Pell City because of that, and when I get here, I see some kids who about on the way out or in trouble and and my wife's taking them in and helped them and to try to turn their lives around and 
that's what it's all about. I made a decision when I left Hoover, Lawrence. I said, you know, if I start investing in kids and quit worrying about winning, then winning will take care of itself. And that's just something I've spent an awful lot of time doing over the last 15 years is taking care of kids and helping kids achieve their dreams and their hopes. But so I think some of it's off limits, but I, I think that particular time probably it probably was okay. And, you know, and I've, again, I just think that, um, you know, I hope that people realize that I've done all the right things going forward now in my life as a Christian and as a good person. Good. Now, am I perfect? No. No. Do I sin? Yes. Um, but I know, I know people know I'm a good dad and they know I'm a good father and I know that, that I've been forgiven. Last night I watched um, the last portion of your coach's show there from City Market. I'll give them a plug, certainly. They're in Pell City. and yep. You know, I I worked at the track for so long. I know a lot of people in Pell City. One of the first people I saw was uh, a guy that you've gotten to know is uh, Senator Lance Bell. And Adam Stocks owns 94.1. Uh, right. I found it really interesting that uh, this that community just embraced you. Uh, it t- it's taken some effort on Pell City's part for sure, especially in cost. As far as you know, man, getting our program up and running. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, um, Pell City's behind. Tells Pell City is on Rush Probe's team. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, it starts with our superintendent who hired me, Dr. Jimmy Martin. Talks to our board members, uh, Norman Wilder and, and Greg Crump and Joe Sawyer and Lori Henderson and Cecil Fomby. Those those people are behind me. Uh, my my principal Holly Costello is phenomenal. She's great. Um, she's been a, a joy to work with. And my athletic director Xavier Robertson, who was a chief of staff for Bill at uh, UAB, Bill Clark UAB, and and then Bill Clark put a group of men together that got me to come here. And some of them men were there last night. And Lance Bell and um, John Ray, and and then you throw in the city people. I mean. Uh, Mayor Pruitt has been great to us. Our city's been great to us, led by Judd Alverson. And, uh, man, Judd's been just a breath of fresh air, too. So when you got the city government on your side, you got the Board of Education on your side, you got your administration on your side, and then you got the town pulling, you know. Now, there's there's detractors, Matt. You know that. There's people that don't understand football and think football is spending too much money or, or trying to or trying to make it bigger than it is but you know, the bottom line is if you're going to win in today's you know Pell City's got to be turned around their football program has to get going in the right direction and there's a lot of people that want that to happen and that's why we're here and this could very be very well be my last stop I mean this could be the end of my career so these next 10 years you know I want to um you know, I'm proud that, you know, we won over 100 games at Hoover and a lot of championships. We won over 100 games at Colbert County, Georgia. Um, you know, so that would be a goal here. So got to stay here a while to get to 100 wins. So, um, but, you know, I feel my health's great. I feel good. I feel like I can do this a long time, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm close to home, man. I'm only 30 minutes from where I grew up. 
you know, most of my side of the family is gone except for my brother who lives there in Hoover Vestavia. But, um, you know, I, I, I just, this is my wife's home. You know, this is where she graduated and was a band, was in the band here. Um, so I'm glad she's home. I'm glad her folks finally got to come home because they've been with us for the last 14 years. So they get to come home and finish the rest of their life in their late 70s. So that was important for me, too, to get them back home, too. So it's been a great thing for me. Uh, it was a great fit for me in Pell City. You know, on the, on the outside, people are going, why didn't he take that job? Well, you know, the same people said that about Alma Bride, too. Why in the world would you take that job? You can't win there. And so we just go 12-1 and one in the only year I was there. But, you know, I just think that when people tell you you can't do something, that's when I like to dig in and try to prove them wrong. Uh, Rush, your, uh, I believe your overall high school record is 295 wins, 109 losses, and that's a winning percentage of 73%. And it's not like you have taken over programs that were at the top. Um, so my question is, you know, what, what, what has the formula been? I know it's different at every school. But, uh, you know, Nick Saban always says, hey, it's the it's the horses, not the jockey. Uh, uh, but I think in high school football, it, it, it really is more the jockey, meaning the, the coach. And so what can you explain just what the you know, the secret sauce is that you've been able to uh apply to all of your different uh stops throughout your career in coaching high school football well first off i didn't know i'd lost 109 i thought it was less than that but i guess we have to win them four games so um oh yes yes yeah 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 uh i'm just on the uh (laughs) yeah yeah i think but whatever it is but anyway i guess i'll be coaching history to win 300 games twice maybe but um but but you know, but here's the deal. I think, or I think, people ask me that. I mean, I've spoke at a thousand clinics. I mean, it seems like it has. May not be a thousand, probably three or four hundred, probably. But and I'm asked that same question because I've been in so many different. Every place we've gone to was losing, and some of it was really bad. And we all got it all turned around. I, I think the one constant answer I've given to people is we just outwork people. And I, I think people's not being critical, but I'm not sure the work ethic is as good in certain areas as it needs to be, or maybe it's not what ours is. Maybe I don't know, but I know the work ethic is one. Um, just plain old hard work and paying attention to detail and not taking any shortcuts to winning. Those are things, uh, but I will say this, Lawrence, is you've got to win. Each place is different. We're not going to win at Pell City like we won at Hoover. We're not going to win. We didn't win at Caldwell County like we won at Hoover. So each place has its own identity, and you have to find out what that identity is going to be. And that's one thing you have to do. Now, certain things are the same, but certain things are different. The other thing I think has been big with us is you have to find things in your program, and I think this is key. This is a key part. 
you have to find things in your program that you that you are doing that no one else is doing that gives you an advantage. That's one. The other thing is there's things out there that people may be doing that you got to do a better job than they do. So you have to turn over every rock. And and people say that cliche all the time, but I believe you got to turn the rock over a couple of times and you got to polish the rock and make sure that everything is detailed out to the nth degree. And that takes time. That takes a lot of time. That takes from Sunday morning sometime to 7.30 in the morning till 1 or 2 in the morning to get your plan right for the week. And, yeah, that's a lot. And that's, that's ask a lot for coaches that, you know, we're not making – Six, eight hundred thousand million one and all that stuff that some of these coaches are, are making, you know. But these coaches come in here and they work their fanny off, and 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 I push, and I push, and I think that we have to outwork our people, our opponents, to a point to where we can gain some type of advantage. But I go back and I tell you that. It's a mindset with your players, too, is that, look, guys, yeah, we're working hard. And I probably pushed this football team right here at Pell City probably harder in a short period of time and probably pushed them too hard, to be quite honest. I was worried about it the other night that I thought I'd pushed them too hard and they wouldn't have their legs back underneath them before we started the game last Friday. But we did. So, you know, and you got to stay consistent in that work, too, because – this week, our practice didn't start out very good. So I'm having to recreate that atmosphere that we had last week, this week. And like today, we'll do more in practice than we did last Wednesday because we didn't have a real good day on Monday. And I thought yesterday was okay. But there's a certain amount of things you got to get done in a week of practice. And they have to understand that just because we're in season don't mean you stop working, that you keep getting better. And so um, it, it's a push. It's a push. And it's hard. Winning football games is hard, guys. Losing football games are easy. But winning football games are awfully hard. And winning them consistently is even harder. Once you win and you get up there like Mark Freeman at Thompson, he's going through that period of where I was at Hoover in 06 that, you know, you're winning and you won a lot, but now you got to stay up there. And and what keeps the drive, what keeps the motivation for your team to continue to come back to the mat and compete each and every game or each and every week or each and every day? So it is a grind now. There's no doubt about it. But I, that's what I miss, Lars, you and Matt. When I left the game for two years and my son was playing at Piedmont, I didn't miss the Friday night that much. I missed the grind. I missed the work. I missed the Saturday, the Sunday, the Monday, the Tuesday. All those things to me is what makes it fun because it is hard to do. And you got to have some some energy and you got to have some work ethic to, to really just stay in the grind day after day after day. And, you know, hey, and it's hard to do it. I mean... I mean, do you think you got to ask yourself, does Coach Saban grind as hard in 2023 as he did in 2007 and eight? 
Only he knows that. But there's a certain amount of work you have to get done, and you have to be consistent in, in the work that you get done. And you got to be very detailed. So to me, the success is in the details. And that's about as simply as I can put it. The success you have is in the details, and you got to make sure you're very detailed. And you got to turn over every rock, and you got to make sure that everything you're doing is right. And you got to self analyze your staff, yourself, your players on a daily basis. And that is hard to do because that requires a lot of work. Rush, thank you so much for your time here on Big Noon Sports. I'll remind everybody the Panthers' home opener is this Friday at 7 o'clock. That's no easy task either. You got the Grannies. Leeds is coming Man. to town. Uh, and that's been a story program since before Barkley played basketball there. But anyway, uh, you can watch and listen to the stream on 94.1 The River with Adam Stocks and Lance Bowman. Thank you. We spent a lot more time with you than anticipated, but uh, it was really good stuff. Thank you, Coach. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Lars. It was great Thank catching you, up with all y'all. We'll see you down the road. Um, Lars, has he has he yelled a lot in his life? <laughs> you, you notice that scruffy voice, like Joe Kynes in Alabama. It's just that's a coach's voice, and pretty darn compelling stuff too. Very uh, compelling. Let's uh, let's review it uh, on the other side. Let's do that. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing. Coming up, Coming up on the game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Wednesday edition of the game, we will continue our Dreamland School Prediction Day. We'll take your scores for Alabama, Middle Tennessee State with a big contest. We'll talk to Brad Powers coming up right here, starting at 2 o'clock on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The chance of a few isolated showers this afternoon, otherwise a mix of sun and clouds, the high 86. For tonight, fair and cooler, the low 61. Tomorrow and Friday, lots of sunshine both days and not as humid. Highs between 86 and 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Mark Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones. Hey, Big Noon Sports is coming to a town near you. Oh, in fact, we will be live in Tuscaloosa at Ennis Free. This Friday and every Friday during the college football season from noon until 2, obviously, right there uh, serving up great vittles with the meat and three there. But uh, we're also on the road again tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow we are going to be out at uh, Greystone Legacy for a uh, terrific golf event. It is the Kathleen P. Brune Memorial Leadership Open, and that's a part of uh, this wonderful group named Bridgeways, and they still have some availability. Uh, And so if you want to uh, participate in this tournament, 
you need to get in contact with uh, Patty Bromberg. Uh, the phone number is 205-208-3045. Again, that's 205-208-3045. Uh, I'm going to be playing uh, early with uh, our buddy Robbie Glenn and a former Alabama baseball player who has been our baseball insider uh, for the past uh, several months. And, uh, and Robbie told me that he's also uh, he's, he's, he's got a couple ringers uh, who will be on our team as well. And uh, we're going to tee off around 8. But, hey, at 8.30... It, 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 they have a Bloody Mary bar there that is the the Bloody Mary bar to end all Bloody Mary bars, and uh, and then there's this sort of a welcome uh, welcome uh, welcoming at, at nine forty five. There's a a putt off competition, and then at ten a.m. there is a a, a a shotgun start. It's a Texas scramble format. There's beverages and and snacks available basically on on every hole and then afterward at at, at 3 30 uh and i've been out here for this the reception is going to be at the legacy clubhouse there's uh, door prizes and they have so many uh amazing th- uh gifts to give away uh and uh there's uh, also prizes for the first place team second third and if you struggle, there's a prize even for the last place team. So uh, I'd love to uh, just to see uh, any, any, anyone out there. Come on out. Uh, have a good time. And, and again, there's still some uh, slots available at the Kathleen P. Brune Memorial Leadership Open at Greystone Legacy. Matt and I will be doing the show from 12 to 2 out there. And uh, really just looking forward to a great uh, morning and afternoon, Matt. We're going to have fun. These next two days are going to be awesome. Yeah, we'll get get around our peeps, if you will. I'm sorry. I wish I could take that back. (laughs) We will will be around our peeps. I know. You're you're, you're tired. We're we're both tired. I don't know why. Yesterday, I put in what I used to be. used to be my norm. Put in about a 12-hour day. I don't know how many more of those I've got in me. Uh, anyway, speaking of prizes at the End of Scrambles Golf Tournament, I have the best prize story when we come back. Also, Johnny Congdon from 3340 will join us in our second hour. Oh, yes. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. A Town Square Media Station. One man to beat, you could forget about it. Touchdown, Alabama. Tide 100.9. And screaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing. Union Home Mortgage. Justin Jones is captain of this ship. Matt and Lars are just literally along for the ride. Um, really compelling interview last hour with Rush Propes. Hey, hey, Justin, key the mic. Let me just ask you a technical question on air. If you got me, I know you got seven plates spinning in that. Little no, I, I got you, Matt. You got me. Um, people can go to the Tide 100.9 site and pull that up, can't they? Uh, yeah, they Part should. The uh, okay. Straight straight to that. And then we also have it on our uh, Spotify accounts here in just a moment. 
Okay. Uh, just wanted to double check. And nothing like just going ahead and asking the question in front of thousands of people listening and putting Justin on the spot. But, again, you handle it perfectly. All right. Uh, some of the things. Oh, first, my story. This is real quick. I was playing in a golf tournament. This is back in the early 80s. Joey Jones was playing for the Stallions. He was uh, one of Alabama's all-time favorite wide receivers. He held a tournament out in Heatherwood for his foundation, and I was uh, lucky enough to be a member of it. And there are a lot of guys that were playing that were uh, also playing for the Stallions, and uh, they were going to give away a prize. Have you ever played Heatherwood, Lars? Uh, yes. It's very, very tight. And uh, yep. if you think of the tightest course you've ever played and then doubling it, that's Heatherwood. So one of the prizes was, uh, if you would actually be honest about it, was uh, if for the person that lost the most golf balls. Well, um, Paul Watt Carruth, stand-up guy, good running back, played in the NFL with the Chiefs, and a very successful businessman, good person. Uh, he fessed up at the end of the tournament. Said, uh, hey, I'll tell you the truth. I lost 16 golf balls. And, of course, the whole room exploded. And then, and then they gave him a prize, and it was a dozen. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. That's always struck me as being very funny. All right. <laughs> um, Alabama's taking on Middle Tennessee State University uh, this weekend. And then UMass is coming to Auburn. This made my eyes bug a little. Uh, stories on AL.com this morning say that uh, tickets to this Saturday's game in Tuscaloosa can be found as low as $9. Tickets to the Auburn game, this is at Jordan-Hare, taking on the Minutemen, $2. And that's according to a survey. I need to give the writer credit, but uh, did some research into, like, SeatGeek and Tickets.com, whatever those things are, but... If ever you wanted to go see uh, Alabama and Auburn and take the whole family, uh, this would be a weekend. I, I, I was surprised the ticket prices were that low. Yeah, that is surprising. Um, you know, I had uh, my first uh, in-person class last night in, uh, at, at Alabama, and uh, all of my students were really pumped and ready to uh, go to the game and uh, just uh, you know there's a you can you can it, it, it's strange but you can feel the excitement when uh, the Alabama season is about ready to start I mean there just it just seems that there's kind of more activity on campus and there's uh, you know there there's always a lot more people around the stadium and, and trying to you know get the stadium to look as, as nice as possible and and uh, you just uh, you know they're just it, 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 it's cliche to say but it's like there, there's a buzz in the air it's and it's uh, it's 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 palpable uh and it's 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 fun it's a great time of year and uh you know in in when i begin my first class i uh of course uh, introduce myself and uh tell the students about uh my background and my career and and then I uh, I go around the room and you know ask uh, the students uh, about about their lives and their background and and why they came to Alabama and uh, in my uh, in this sports writing class uh, I think I have seventeen students 
And uh, I would say 15 of them said that they came to Alabama because of Nick Saban, because of Alabama football. They wanted to be a part of a winning culture of a school that is known for winning. And I have students from, uh, you know, uh, Orange County, California, uh, from uh, upstate New York, uh, from uh, Buffalo, uh, uh, one from Romania. Uh, uh, and, and I mean, just literally all over the United States and, and, and for world. this class, all over the world. Romania, the, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's he's a he's a great kid. Um, uh, he he was well. I don't want to get into his details. But, well, let me ask uh, you just one quick question. Yeah, is he jacked up? Does he know about football? Is, is it oh yeah, yeah. He well, so he, he he grew up in Romania, but then he has been uh, he he moved to the United States several years ago. Okay. So, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's uh, he, he's wonderful. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just it's just different. It just feels different when you are beginning the fall semester as opposed to the spring semester because of of, of one thing. And it's Alabama football. And, uh, and and the students, again, they're just they're 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 jacked up. They they don't care who is coming to play. They, they just all want to be a part of it because what you know, it took me a while to understand this, Matt, but a, a football game in the South, in the SEC, it is so much more than just a football game. It's a social event. It is a uh, it's a uh, like a, a, a touchstone uh, cultural event. It is uh, it is just uh, again it, it's bigger than just the actual action on the field, and that's what makes the SEC so special. You know, I, I I've said this many times. I, I never thought I would meet a fan base that is as passionate as where I grew up. Where with Lincoln in Lincoln, Nebraska, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, uh, and this was back when they were actually good. But then I, I moved down here, and it's just a completely different ball game. I mean, it is off the charts more intense than uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, or Norman, Oklahoma, or even Columbus, Ohio, or Ann Arbor, Michigan. It is just so special, so unique in all of American sports. I think it, the uh, the closest the, the the closest comparison is uh, soccer, probably in South America, right? Uh, uh, football, as they call it there. But it, the, how it's uh, it is a if there's a an important game or just any game. Uh, it doesn't matter really the city, uh, but it, it, if there's an important professional soccer game, it is a three day long affair, right? And 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 you know right now that the the RVs they may not have arrived in Tuscaloosa yet, but they are on the way to Tuscaloosa right now. I mean, so what? I bet there were a few on what, Monday. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't know. Is, is everything I'm saying sort of in line with what laws, you think? Laws, what we have here is a southern affair. 
You know, I could do a deep dive, and we maybe tomorrow we'll just we'll take some phone calls and get people to talk about how they feel. But I just remember, especially my first year at Alabama, how it just built up throughout the week, and it you could you could smell it. I yeah. mean, every other sense is exposed and enjoying it, but you could literally smell it, and especially Saturday mornings when you get up for your version of Southern Affair. And you just, you know, you're with such great people. You're with kind of your own kind. You're all, you have certainly a common denominator in Alabama football. And you talk about what happened last year. You talk about who the quarterback's going to be. Uh, by the way, that's not the first season that uh, we've had this conversation. That goes back to the Paul Bryant era. And by the way, he wouldn't tell anybody either um, until it was good and darn ready. Uh, he did, however, release uh, depth charts. You know, a, a, a few years ago, I had a, an older student uh, in, and, uh, you know, she not, a, well, maybe she was about my age. I, I don't remember, but uh, she um, was going through a really painful divorce and she started talking in class about how uh, she has this group of people that uh, she tailgates with. And, and the more she talked about it, the more I realized that she's got to write about this because in so many ways, like this tailgate and the whole concept of Alabama football, it helped her navigate through one of the most difficult times of her life. And uh, I always want students to write about, you know, uh, emotions and, and whether the emotions are good or bad. I mean, you just write about it because when you write with emotion, that means you're writing with power. And she did, and she did such a phenomenal job of writing about how this group of people uh, just absolutely supported her and uplifted her in a way that it was almost like a religious experience. And I really believe that that's it. It is, Alabama football is, is, is akin to a religious experience for so many. Well, let's hurry from home from church because we gotta watch the Paul Bryant TV show with Golden Flick and Coca-Cola. Um, Sundays were special, still are in Alabama. Johnny Cogden from ABC 3340 will be with us on the other side of this break as you listen to Big Noon Sports. If you're looking 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. The chance of a few isolated showers this afternoon, otherwise a mix of sun and clouds, the high 86. For tonight, fair and cooler, the low 61. Tomorrow and Friday, lots of sunshine both days and not as humid. Highs between 86 and 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Appreciate everyone dialing us in today. And just a quick reminder, we'll be at Free Friday afternoon from noon to 2. Uh, we won't personally be serving up your meet and three, but they will. And they've got a meet and three for $9.99, and that's just unheard of in this day and time. Joining us now from ABC 3340 is Johnny Congdon. Johnny, how are you today, man? 
Man, I've spent some time at the uh, Tuscaloosa Innisfree, but I promise you, I wasn't I wasn't eaten. <laughs> uh, they also have a great... In fact, Lars and I were in there, was it a week ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we sampled one of their ales, and uh, it's a good place. Uh, and yeah, I've, I've, I've been in there where I wasn't eating a meat and three, too, so I think uh, everybody was. That place has been around for a while. Not since I was there, because we were drinking <laughs> in places called Bonhoeffs and the sidetrack. But... Johnny, I want to ask you a question totally away from sports. Uh, sure. I've experienced this, and you have. Going into 3340 and knowing what you knew about James Spann, what is it like in 2023 to work with literally an icon? Well, I, I always say the three most important people in this state are Nick Saban, the governor, and James Spann, and they're not necessarily in that order. <laughs> But no, the the opportunity to get a work with a guy who is literally the best at what he does, not just here, but throughout the country. I mean, he is unbelievable to watch how he prepares and to watch how he executes his, his forecast. I mean, it's borderline scary. He has things down to the second. He has things down to the to the literal town when he's working that green screen. The man knows every side street from every county in this state. And the coolest thing about him is that he's one of the coolest, most normal, down-to-earth guys you'll ever have to deal with. And on top of it, he's a Red Sox fan, so I knew I liked him from day one. Uh, <laughs> did you know, and you probably, the world probably knows this, that I think the last phone call or contact that Nick Saban makes before kickoff, he calls James Spann. I think he calls him while he's in the, while he's in the tunnel. Span has a Rolodex that I'm sure he could sell his phone for hundreds of thousands of dollars with all the important people in there. I say I I, mean, I know Coach Saban does talk to him. I know when he did the Hey Coach show uh, a few months ago, I think it was midway through the year, and Span was on. I think that's the most bubbly I've ever seen Nick Saban in my life. I mean, he was just thrilled to be next to – I mean, they're literally the two best at what they do in their profession, and they're having an opportunity to do a radio show next to each other. I The only time I wouldn't trust Span when it comes to Alabama is when they're playing Mississippi State because I know he's a proud alum, and he might be giving Saban some wrong info when it comes to that forecast. But, no, he, he's the best in the business, and to have the opportunity to just share a studio with him and be on the air with him – is an honor and a privilege, and um, I, I soak it up every time. I don't take it for granted because I know how damn good he is. Yeah, James is uh, absolutely the best. We we, we formed a, a company together called Sky High Studios, and uh, he, um, he he yeah he Nick Saban like literally I think the last person he talks to before he runs out onto the field is uh, is James because I mean Nick wants to know everything about the weather for the next three hours. Uh, but but and Johnny, if speak- I could. Yeah. Yeah, if ahead. I could, the reason why why I put on a few more pounds is because of all the cake that is at the studio. Because every time Span goes speaks to an elementary school or a middle school, he brings back some of the most elaborate looking cakes with his face on them, with the weather, with the the polygon, his suspenders. I mean, there is no lie. At least three to four cakes in the break room at thirty three forty every single week. So I blame Span if I look a little chunky on air. <laughs> hasn't James put about four hundred fifty thousand miles on his car? Is that is that is he still that drives accurate? The same Toyota Forerunner, yeah, he still yeah. drives the it's same Toyota Forerunner. He, he drives it all over the state. I mean, he is he is a legend. I mean, uh, he, he is 
he he really is the best. And again, yeah. James, stop bringing the cakes back because I'm going to keep eating them. <laughs> we were talking about James Spann last night uh, when we were actually talking about how you get to a certain high school over in Walker County, and somebody said, "Oh, you know, you got you go right by Wesley's booby trap." Which uh, I think we all know that, but it goes to what you were saying early. He knows every avenue in court in the state of Alabama, but he made Wesley's booby trap even more famous than it was before. So, all right, okay, Johnny, let's talk some football. And, and again, this is football fun sure. week. Would you be interested in going to watch a football game in a movie theater? That seems to be one of the topics this week since the mm. ACC is going to do that with regularity. You ever even thought about it? Okay, so, uh, no, I have not thought about it. And put it this way, if I was going to watch a game I had no interest in and I didn't care about, I would have no problem doing it. But as you guys know, I'm a massive New England Patriots fan, and I don't even like to be around loved ones when I watch the Patriots because I'm just subjectively a bad person when they're going, when they're playing, when the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. I am just uh, an emotional mess for about 60 minutes or three and a half hours uh, during the game. So I don't want to be around, again, my, my loving girlfriend, who Emily, she she's the best. But but I feel bad when I have to watch Patriots games with her because I have to subject her to the way I am. So would I want to watch with a bunch of strangers at a movie theater? Absolutely not. I would I would not want to do that. That's just my two cents. I'm not shaming anybody that does. Some people like the big screen, the surround sound, the experience of it. I would have absolutely no interest in watching a football game in a dark movie theater. Johnny, uh, you were uh, born and raised in uh, Massachusetts, uh, just uh, in a small town, right, outside of Boston. Yeah, Oxford, Mass, South Shore. Okay, so, uh, number one, why did you choose to go to Alabama? And two, you're in a a unique position where you can kind of evaluate the similarities and differences between Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. If uh, yeah, so I'm sure you've given some thought to that, uh, having uh, an up close uh, view of both of them. So the the reason I think I went to Alabama is I really fell in love with college football in 2007. I had always watched it with my dad and my friends before that, but 2007 was the year Boston College was ranked number two in the country. Matt Ryan was a Heisman candidate. They played so many close games down to the wire. One of the greatest football games I've ever watched at Lane Stadium against Virginia Tech when BC was down two scores with under two minutes left and came back and won. And I I preface this by saying I wasn't even a Boston College fan. It's, It's very different down here where people that didn't go to Alabama or Auburn or UAB or Stanford will root for these teams. Back home, if you don't have any family member or aunts and uncles or or neighbors that went to those schools, college football isn't really a big deal at all. But for whatever reason, that 2017 was so good. I think I went to three, four, or five games at Alumni Stadium. And it was interesting to just appreciate how good that team was without having a real emotional tie to them. But I think it was at that moment where I said, man, I really want to get to a place where college football matters. And then when I had the opportunity to tour schools uh, about my junior year of high school, I went down south. I went to South Carolina. I looked at Tennessee. I looked at Alabama. I looked at Auburn. And then when I got to Tuscaloosa, it was kind of one of those moments where you're like, oh, this is where I want to be. And I was fortunate enough to get some scholarship money and, um, and I had two supporting parents, which is nice because a lot of times as a 17, 18 year old, having your kid move 1600 miles away 
isn't necessarily on the top of the mind. I think my mother would have been much happier if I went to school at UMass or something. But I, uh, I took the leap of faith and it was the best decision I ever made. Made some of my closest friends. I had the opportunity to work at WVUA with Gary Harris and, uh, and the team over there. And I mean, they, they just, they fostered my love for this business. And Alabama was the best decision I ever made. And when I had the opportunity to come back and take this job at 3340 in Birmingham, I, I jumped at it. And uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm almost two years in. I don't plan on going anywhere. So hopefully they'll still have me. So it, it was awesome. But to your Belichick and Saban point, they're so similar and so different in so many ways. Both, obviously, they're both fantastic defensive minds. But the way they, they, they handle their business is so different. I always say I'm so glad I get to cover Nick Saban and not Bill Belichick because Saban gives you answers. He might yell at you. He might he might talk down to you at times. But you know what? It's great sound for television. Belichick gets up there and mumbles into the microphone and hucks a loogie on the side. And it's not, you know, one, two words. Saban will give you tidbits of information. But the, the one thing that I've always found fascinating between the two of them is how they're able to delegate responsibilities and still have that CEO mantra, despite being such great defensive minds. Rather, over the years, sometimes Belichick has delegated too much, a la last year with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running the offense, which was a disaster. But the way that Saban's been able to bring in offensive and defensive coordinators seemingly every year for the last 10, 15 years, and that they still have a product where they're competing for a national title year in and year out, I mean, that that is remarkable in its own right. But uh, their innovation, the way that they do things differently, the, the way they utilize their entire roster, uh, making the ability to make big calls. Like, I was just watching that Alabama-Clemson national title game from 2015 just a few days ago. And when he hit that onside kick, Marlon Humphrey recovered. I mean, that was a tied football game at that point. I mean, one, one of the gutsiest decisions a coach has ever made. And then when you think of Belichick, maybe the move that everyone – takes for granted now is when he decided to stick with Tom Brady over Drew Bledsoe in the 2001 season. At the time, that was an incredibly controversial decision. They had just paid Bledsoe at the top of the market. He had been to a Super Bowl. He had been a perennial All-Pro, a Pro Bowler. And he said, I'm going to take this unproven rookie out of Michigan, make him the starting quarterback. Of course, they go on to win the Super Bowl that year, and he becomes the greatest quarterback to ever do it. So I think having the ability to make unpopular decisions at the moment because you can see into the future and what you might perceive that to be successful, I don't think anyone's ever done it better than both of them. Hey, let's jump uh, to the other side of the state, to Auburn, UMass, 230 kick there at Jordan Air Stadium. What do you think we're going to see for the very first edition of Hugh Freeze's Tigers? Well, I think what Auburn fans are going to hope to see is a Peyton Thorne at quarterback who's going to take care of the football. Because I think if you look back last year when T.J. Finley won the job and their first two games were at Mercer and San Jose State, sure, Auburn wins both of those games. But I don't think a single Auburn fan would tell you they felt very good about it, and chiefly because Finley didn't take care of the football. That obviously led to Robbie Ashford taking the reins after that Penn State game. But the one thing that has really impressed me with Peyton Thorne He's a graduate student. He's got more time than the average college kid. And from everything we've heard and from everything Hugh Freeze has told us, he's really just completely dedicated himself to the offense. He's an, a, an incredible studier of the football, uh, of the offense, I should say. And a lot of people that like to poo-poo on the Big Ten, I mean, he was really successful and won a bunch of big games for Michigan State when he was up there playing some really good competition. So I, I think at first, when Peyton Thorne had clearly separated himself in camp, 
which is from everything we heard. And again, we get to see a lot more practice down at Auburn than we do at Alabama. So I think it was quite evident from the first week that he had kind of taken the reins and had become the alpha dog of that quarterback room. Now it's just can he execute against live defenses. Now UMass wins their first game of the year against New Mexico State. They score 41 points, and people are excited about UMass. Let's pump the brakes. I know that program quite well. That is not a good. That is not a good football team. They're improved defensively, and they're obviously improved offensively at the quarterback position. But they just don't have the athletes to compete on the field with an Auburn Tiger football team. So I expect Auburn to get near that number. I think it's what 38 and a half, 39 right now is the spread going into the game. And I think Hugh Freeze is going to want to get these receivers involved because he's he's mentioned multiple times now. Auburn hasn't had a thousand yard receiver in a very very long time and something if you go back and look at what Hugh Freeze has done at the wide receiver position I mean he, he gets guys that play at the next level so I think they're going to try to take some long shots and they're going to try to push the ball down the field vertically and of course they always have that unbelievable running back in Jarquiz Hunter to fall back on so I expect a balanced attack for Auburn Saturday and I expect him to win uh, quite handily can you hang through the break Johnny absolutely all right, fantastic. ABC 3340's Johnny Cogden will continue a visit here on Big Noon Sport. Built to win. Touchdown, Alabama! Built for championships. Throws intercepted Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide kick off the 2023 season against MTSU. Our coverage begins at 3.30 on your home for Alabama football. Presented by the Birmingham Racecourse and Casino, I-459, exit 31. You could be a winner, too. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Hey, we're entering the fourth quarter here on Big Noon Sports. Our local Alabama-related interviews are being brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker, Advantage Realty Group. Lars? Yeah, Jonathan, uh, give us your analysis of what we're going to see on Saturday with the quarterback situation. That's what everybody is talking about. That is the uh, intriguing storyline number one. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be Jalen Milrow, and I qualify that with I think because we just don't know, and I don't think half the team knows until they step on the field for the first drive. Now, it's Middle Tennessee State, no disrespect to them, but I I think Alabama will put up points early, and we're going to have an opportunity to see multiple quarterbacks. I don't know if that means we're going to see Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner, but I'm pretty confident in saying we're at least going to see Ty Simpson in this football game. And then, again, I, I just mentioned it when it comes to Auburn. When you play these cupcake games to begin the year, you have to take care of the football. Nothing is going to put doubt in a coach's mind as he looks towards the gauntlet of this SEC schedule that they're going to play and have an inclination in the back of their mind that their quarterback might make a poor decision with the ball. So I, I think ball security is job security. I believe that cliche is, is, is very true. And when it comes to Jalen Milrow, All my friends from Alabama, I'm still in a group text with all my college buddies and roommates, and they're all pretty down on the Milrow thing because of how he played in stretches against 
Arkansas last year and then the entirety of the Texas A&M game at home. And again, who am I to doubt their take, but he can get better as a passer. I tried to remind people when they're, when they, they, they sour at the thought of Jalen Milrow playing quarterback for this team. I go, sure. Was he a great throw over the football last year? No. Was he anywhere near as good as Bryce Young? Guys, Bryce Young's a Heisman Trophy winner, the number one overall pick. I mean, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the history of the SEC. So expecting Jalen Milrow to step in and have that kind of production would be unfair from the get-go. But can he add more touch on his passes? Absolutely. Can he make better decisions with the football? Absolutely. And then on top of it, once you get in the red zone, I mean, the guy is a beast. He looks like a linebacker playing quarterback. I mean, if you have the opportunity to get into goal-to-go situations, and that just opens up the playbook for Tommy Reese so much more so because of what you can do both as a passer and as a runner. And, again, just because Tommy Reese is there, everyone thinks that going back to 19... 1976, grounded pound, three yards in a cloud of dust. I still expect them to run plenty of RPOs, and I think that's going to really benefit Jalen Milrow and his skill set. Uh, USA Today did an interesting piece uh, that posted, uh, I think it was this morning, and it was about six teams that could break through and make their first college football playoff. And the six teams that uh, uh, the writer Scooby Axon uh, mentioned was USC, Penn State, Utah, Tennessee, Texas, and Tulane. Uh, your reaction to that, and then uh, since uh, this is the the week before it really gets started, it's 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 prediction week. So, what would your prediction be for the final four in the playoffs? And and again, do you think any of those six teams I just mentioned have a uh, have a puncher's chance? Now, of the ones you read, I still don't trust USC's defense, and I think that will do them in at some point this year. It might be in the Pac-12 championship game, just like last year to Utah. But I do have one of those teams in my Final Four, and it's Penn State, and here's why. They they bring back most of their team, and then when you look at that schedule, they have to go to Columbus in late October, and they have to play Ohio State. Now, that is going to be a game for the ages, and if they win that, you look at the rest of their schedule. I just pulled it up right here. Home against Illinois, at Maryland, home against Michigan, home against Rutgers, at the road on a down Michigan State team. I think they have some of their biggest games at home. And they look at the road trips. They have to go on the road to Champlain and play Illinois. That's a win. They go to Evansville and play Northwestern. That's a win. They get UMass, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State, and they get Michigan at home. I think that schedule is a lot more favorable than some of these other, I don't want to call them dark horses, but some of these fringe playoff teams that we believe could make it. I still think Texas is a year out. I mean, everyone's probably sick of hearing, oh, when is Texas? You hear all the hype, you hear all the Sark stuff. What they're doing, my friends back in Texas from when I was in Thailand, I covered recruiting there, said that Steve Sarkeesian has an energy on the recruiting trail that Texas has not seen since the days of early Mac Brown. I mean, what they've been able to do to thwart the momentum of Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M, who just a short two years ago probably had the best recruiting operation in the country. Now that is since stalled. But what Texas has been able to do and win back some of those positional players, especially on the offensive and defensive line from the A&Ms of the world, from the TCUs, from the Baylors and the Texas Techs, I do think Texas is about a year out. And I think once they get Arch Manning in there and they have that behemoth of an offensive line 
that's coming in the class of 2024, you're going to look for Texas to be a perennial playoff power each and every year. Now, famous last words, right? We've said that about Texas how many times in the last 10, 15 years. But I still give Texas a year out, and I expect Alabama to beat them handily in two weeks in Tuscaloosa. But as far as those teams that you give me, if you made me take a shot in the dark, I'll take Penn State because of the schedule. They win that game at Ohio State, and I think they're going to win the Big Ten, and they're going to be a lock for a playoff spot. Johnny, before we let you go, Lars and I were reminiscing back to the days when we were on college campuses, and it was game week. It was the opener, the home opener. Go back to your Mm -hmm. freshman year in Tuscaloosa, uh, particularly having been raised in, in New England. What was it like for you personally? Oh, God. Well, the first game my freshman year was Alabama-West Virginia at the old Georgia Dome. And me and my best friend, Luke DeVosta, who we grew up together in Duxbury, we went to school together in Alabama, we rented a zip car from Tutwiler Hall. We had to walk from Presidential Village to Tutwiler, and we took a zip car to the old Georgia Dome to watch Alabama play. I think Clint Trickett was the quarterback for West Virginia, and he was throwing jump balls to Kevin White, who would later go on to be one of the greatest busts at the wide receiver position for the Bears. But um, that that was my first take, our first experience. And I don't think it's as authentic because it wasn't a first home game in Bryant-Denny. I can't remember what the first home game is. It was rather like FAU or Kent State the week after, something like that. But no, just just the, the atmosphere and... One of the first memories I have, and I'll, I'll be brief, I promise, is I remember the first big-time college football game I ever went to was Auburn, Georgia, at Jern-Hare Stadium when I was looking at schools. I was down at Auburn. And I flew in with my father from Boston Logan to Hartsville-Jackson in Atlanta and just getting off the airplane, and every single person at the terminal, I feel, was wearing their college colors, whether it was a jersey or a hat or a polo with their school's logo on it. And that was kind of the first indication that, okay, this is different down here. There's a buzz and a passion and enthusiasm for this sport that I've never experienced before. And it's one of the reasons that drew me to the South. And uh, I'm blessed and eternally grateful to be here. Johnny, other than uh, the quarterback position, what are you most interested in, in seeing uh, on, on Saturday from Alabama? What what position group are you going to be paying particular attention to? Well, let, let's stick with the offense because I think the defense is going to be really good. And I, I'm fascinated to see how they divvy up the running back roles because I think you have four running backs that could be 1,000-yard backs on their own. Obviously, Jace. Then you got Roy Dell, who became like a short yardage goal line specialist that last year was fantastic in that LSU game. Jamarian Miller, a kid I covered in Texas, who I think has all the traits of being an NFL running back one day. And then Justice Haynes, who was the number one running back prospect in the country last year from Buford High School in Georgia. I mean, any of those four, I think, that had their own team could be a bell cow back, could rush for over 1,000 yards. So I'm interested to see if Jace gets a drive, Roydell gets a drive. Is Jamari in the third down back? Does Justice Haynes get any real playing time at all? Or is it just as simple as, do you rotate a back every single play, and when a defense is getting gashed for a quarter and a half, and you have a fresh running back with fresh wheels ready to run down your throat, I think that could be a, a, a daunting uh, proposition, considering how good this Alabama offensive line is shaping up to be, just from a pure girth standpoint. So that, that's probably... Next to the quarterbacks, which we're all watching, I'm going to be watching how uh, Coach Gillespie and 
obviously offensive coordinator Tommy Reese decide to divvy up the running back roles because I, I think if Alabama is going to go back to a national title game and win it, they're going to have to do it on the backs of those running backs, and I'm interested to see who gets the bulk of those carries. Hey, thank you for joining us, but before we let you go, um, who do you have this weekend as far as coverage? I'll be in Tuscaloosa. I'll be in Tuscaloosa for the Alabama Middle Tennessee game. Uh, plug your Friday night shows because I know that's a big deal to 33. Oh, Friday Friday night blitz with Jeff Spiegel and Caleb Turntine, our high school football guru. Uh, it's going to be at 6.30 on my 68, and then, of course, coming up with the ABC 3340 News at 10. We're going to have all the high school recaps. I'm not sure where I'm going high school-wise, but I'll be at two games, and uh, we'll have about 15 to 20 minutes of highlights on 3340 at 10 o'clock Friday night. Good stuff. Thank you, Johnny. Have a safe weekend. Thanks. Matt Lawrence, thanks as always. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Johnny. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff, Matt. Hey, I got to get this in on the other side. A world record is going to be broken tonight in my hometown. A world record. This involved chugging beer. <laughs> well, I already own that one. But, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, nope. Uh, I'll get, we'll get to it on the other side. It, it, it's really cool. Really cool. All right. Interesting. Great stuff. Um, you're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Hey, everybody, it's Gary Harris. Coming up Thursday on the Gary Harris Show on Tide 100.9 FM, the coach, Ellis Johnson, will join us, plus Paul Patterson from Patterson Cobra Law Firm with a free legal advice segment, and Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Hey. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The chance of a few isolated showers this afternoon, otherwise a mix of sun and clouds, the high 86. For tonight, fair and cooler, the low 61. Tomorrow and Friday, lots of sunshine both days and not as humid. Highs between 86 and 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 88 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Thank you for joining us on this uh, pretty good-looking uh, Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow is supposed to be almost Chamber of Commerce, but um, still keeping our eye on um, hurricane that uh, slammed Florida, I guess, in the wee hours. That thing is bolting through at a high rate and still 
extremely forceful winds. And now it looks like it's going to go in North Carolina as well. It may already have touched there. But uh, thoughts and prayers for those in the path of Hurricane Idalia. Lars, what's going on in Lincoln, Nebraska tonight? World history is going to be made. World history is going to be made. Okay. The current attendance record for a women's sporting event in the United States is held by the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, which uh, in the 1999 World Cup played at the Rose Bowl in the final against China. And that was when Brandy Chastain hit her uh, that legendary penalty kick and ripped off her shirt. There was 90,185 fans there for that event. Now, the world record for a women's sporting event in terms of attendance is FC Barcelona's team. Uh, they set the international mark uh, when 91,648 fans uh, went to a stadium called uh, Camp Nou, N-O-U, uh, for the 2022 UEFA Women's Champion League match against Wolfsburg. All right. That is going to fall tonight at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's where the Huskers play. It has a uh, listed capacity of 85,458. But on several occasions, uh, that capacity has actually gone over 91,000. Okay, so tonight the University of Nebraska volleyball team, women's volleyball team, is playing uh, the, the University of Nebraska at Omaha team at Memorial Stadium. They put a volleyball a volleyball court right in the middle of Memorial Stadium and they've already sold more than 90,000 tickets and they are offering there's some standing room only options and so Trev Albers the uh, athletic director is 100% positive that tonight this volleyball match in Lincoln at Memorial Stadium is going to break every record and the the regular season record for a volleyball match. Guess what it is? The attendance record. Um, seventeen thousand five hundred. Wow, very close. Sixteen thousand eight hundred and thirty-three. So that's going to be shattered just a little bit. But I, I, I've been talking. <laughs> I, I've been talking to you know my my friend and and Nebraska volleyball is uh, it, it's it's. It's popularity, I would almost compare it to like uh, Alabama gymnastics, you know, uh, and, yeah. and just how good they are uh, year in and year out. Uh, they play for national championships or at least they compete for national championships. Um, and uh, and, and, and been, in talking to my friends in the state of Nebraska and, and it's people from all over the Midwest that are, that are coming uh, tonight. And uh, it's just a, it's just one of those events that, that you know, all of the hotels in, in, in the surrounding area are all sold out. And um, it's just, uh, 
it's just it's magic. It's magic what they're doing. And this idea was uh, was uh, Trev Alberts, the uh, the uh, athletic director, again former Nebraska football player. And it's just going to be a special night in Lincoln uh, for this event. That's really cool, but I kind of envision it being an even worse vantage point in the stadium than some of these Final Fours that they they hold in indoor arenas that they'll end up holding 60,000 people and somebody's up there in the Bob Euchre stands that uh, can't even see. But a basketball court um, is not quite as... uh, what a volleyball court's just a little smaller than a basketball court. Oh, it's a lot smaller. Yeah, a lot smaller. but but you know what? It, it's 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 really not about oh. you know what what happens there. It, it, it's a celebration of women's sports, and it's a celebration of state pride um, because this attendance record it will never be broken. It, it, in, in our lifetime, I truly believe it will never be broken. And it's uh, if you get the Big Ten Network, you can watch it at, at, at 7 p.m. Central Time. And uh, it'll, it's just going to be really cool. It's going to be really cool to see uh, all these people coming together to support women's volleyball. And, and really, it's, it's support of women's collegiate sports. It's, it's it's so much bigger than just a, a volleyball match, right? Oh, I mean, that, it, that's a that's a sort of a side story. It, it, this is all about uh, again a, a celebration of of women's sports, how far women's sports has come, and uh, and also just a massive support for Nebraska women's volleyball. Really good stuff. When you were growing up, was. Uh volleyball even a sport at NU? <laughs> I confess I've never been, I've never been so no I, I didn't know anything about it but apparently Nebraska's played for like uh, they've, they've won uh, I don't know several national championships I really don't know that much about the Nebraska volleyball I know the coach's name uh, is John Cook and uh, obviously very good coach but um, just a, a cool event a cool event and uh you know hopefully hopefully another school somewhere along the line tries to beat it oh well you you, first of all you got to have like a a venue that can hold 90 or 100,000 people Brian Denny Stadium how about how about Brian Denny Stadium for a uh women's gymnastics gymnastics meet hey that could be done do you think do you think that would be possible? Do you think uh, if uh, if there was a sort of rallying cry in the state that you could get a hundred thousand in there to uh, go to a women's gymnastics meet? I think you could. That's a good question. Um, I know they didn't have any problem, particularly in, in big meets, uh, putting fifteen thousand plus. But boy, that's a lot more. You're talking about adding 80,000 people in there to try and get the record. So, hey, we'll see. It's a good thought. And I'm putting, you know, the, the volleyball is in your hands. In this case, the uneven bars are in your hands. <laughs> that just sounded weird. <laughs> but I, I, I don't even know. Can you do gymnastics outside because of, like, wind? It could be dangerous, right? 
Well, I, especially you got to watch out for condensation and dew if you do it at night because I mean, what if those bars or the beams get just a slight bit wet due to a change in the weather? Um, that's a great point, though, Lars. That's why you're in charge of this mission. <laughs> All right. Yes. Hey, let's, thanks let's, hey, let's make it our cause. Let's make it our cause to, to make it happen. Yeah, All right. I'm all for it. It's a lot of work, Lars. 22 <laughs> hours. We'll be back.